Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Greetings, this is uh, Miriam Gillian for the Gist of Freedom. We are here today to discuss with um, with uh, our guest today. Her name is Kimberly Simmons. And Ms. Kim- Ms. Simmons is here today to talk about something, the anniversary of which we are about to, uh, to experience out of Detroit, Michigan. Um, Kimberly is a, a survivor or a witness to the Detroit riots that happened in 1967 in a year and a time when riots were happening across the United States and black community. So as soon as uh, Kimberly comes and joins us, we'll be able to well, have I'm, that. Well, I'm, I'm here. I'm, I'm oh, here greetings. With I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, I'm I didn't listening hear to your... anything. It's so quiet on the line. Beautiful. I was... well, I was listening to your wonderful uh, introduction. <laughs> oh, well, welcome. Thank you. <laughs> okay. So let's get started, Kimberly. It's such a pleasure to, to speak with you today. I, um, I was privy to this information that, that you're about to share just through what you posted. I had not, uh, prior to this conversation, really heard too much about the Detroit riots, although I do understand it was one of the largest riots in the country. So is that true? Uh, that's true, and before we uh, go much further, I will say that I prefer, or I shouldn't say uh, I prefer, but uh, mm-hmm. most of uh, those of us that were, um, or our survivors, if you would like to, to as you have so uh, so uh, generously put it, but uh, those of us that ex- had ex- were part of the experience, we tend to use the word rebellion rather than riot. Oh, okay. And oh, mm-hmm. um, and so if you'd introduce yourself, we'll, we'll pick it up from there. <laughs> Basically, how you, however you'd like to introduce yourself. And we will well, use that word. How, 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 to, how to introduce uh, who I am and what I do. I, I just read online uh, Leslie, Leslie Gist, uh, the wonderful, wonderful uh, uh, leader of this uh, podcast, I just uh, saw her um, in-depth background on who I am and my family, but uh, I am a historian. Uh, I am um, a Detroit-born historian. Um, I believe that uh, having been part of a family that's been in a place for uh, just about 185 years and with a lot of uh, background um, on the place that we have uh, chosen to stay, um, I think that gives me kind of a unique a, a unique outlook on uh, what 
uh, Detroit is going to experience over the next week. I am uh, descended from a family that sought freedom 185 years ago uh, by using the network known as the Underground Railroad. I am also the uh, descended uh, daughter of a family that uh, was uh, a Revolutionary War family. And I'm also the descended daughter of the Mayflower. So when freedom is interjected into my um, calling card, I guess I have a lot to talk about. Um, Probably what I am most uh, conscious about is giving a lot of uh, or sharing a lot of the family history and the family knowledge of what freedom means, in particular as it ties to what's come what's coming upon us the next uh, in the next week or so uh, regarding the Detroit Rebellion of 1967 um, is, is what okay. I'm looking forward to today. Now, Kimberly, can you, before you continue, first of all, let me just say that's quite an impressive resume <laughs> in terms of pedigree. Uh, but I'd also like for you to just, before we delve into the, the history of it, can you just share with our listeners uh, exactly what's happening in the next week in Detroit? Well, sure. Uh, in um, <clears throat> as a as a author, um, we were uh, gratefully published by Wayne State University Press last year. Our book is entitled "A Fluid Frontier." It's a collaborative effort between Canadians and uh, Americans, uh, six six Canadian and six American authors. And we recently received, after a year, another review of our book. And the book is actually drawn draws upon the experience of Underground Railroad freedom seekers, but it was uh, reviewed here in Detroit by uh, Riverwise, which is out of the uh, Grace Boggs Center, um, to draw the parallels between a freedom that was sought almost 200 years ago versus the freedom that was fought on or fought over in the streets of Detroit in 1967. Um, 67 brought about a a group of rebellions um, across the country um, that involved uh, minorities, in particular the African-American community, and um, we'll just say the powers that be. Uh, in Detroit, it was no different. However, it was lar- it was the largest. Um, it started uh, on July the 23rd, and it lasted for five days. Uh, at which point, the National Guard was actually uh, activated uh, by the uh, President of the United States. And uh, that would be um, um, Lyndon, Lyndon Johnson. Johnson. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, after Five days of um, a diverse, uh, diverse crowd that was involved. Um, we ended with a um, a neighborhood that was uh, predominantly African American, uh, very uh, densely populated, um, and. Um, Quite the active neighborhood. It was. It was. I guess you would call, from the African American standpoint, the center of town. Um, we ended up with 43 dead. Uh, 
injuries, uh, arrest, um, and a neighborhood that was basically uh, torn to shambles and burned down. Um, we call it a rebellion because we have uh, historians have historians and sociologists have decided that when you use the term riot, that brings to mind a violent conflict, and it generally speaking, when you're talking in terms of the African American community, that's when the term is used, rather than a rebellion that brings to mind uh, forces, um, if you want to say the populace, rebelling against a bad system. And uh, those two words go a long way between making a difference. Um, Maybe we can talk a little bit about that later. Um, The 67 Rebellion started um, um, I'm sorry, not to cut you, but I just was curious. You'd mentioned that there, is, there, is there something happening? Before we go right there, and I'm, we're going to go through a whole lot of conversation about this, but you mentioned something happening next week as a result of the riot. So I just wanted to kind of put that as a note. Um, they're having commemoration, is that right? Yeah, there's commemoration starting on, well, actually, I, I, w- I guess you would say the commemoration began the first of the year. Um, okay. But it's complicated because the actual event, the events of 67 that um, have uh, stirred up all of this uh, uh, quite quite a bit of uh, commemoration, comm- commemorative happenings actually were started on July the 23rd, which is Sunday. And so it'll be exactly 50 days, uh, f- excuse me, 50 days, 50 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Time <clears throat> in 1967, but there's been a lot of of lead-up to this, and as a matter of fact, there's been quite a bit that um, is coming out of this uh, incident because there's actually a Hollywood movie production that is uh, debuting on the red carpet here in Detroit on the 25th that's uh, been done um, by by an Oscar-winning, she was the first Oscar-winning woman to direct a movie, and she directed a movie called Detroit, and it's actually okay. about a piece of the of the incident of those five days. Okay, all right. Well, thank you. So, not uh, no, I didn't mean to cut you off there, but I just wanted to get that because some of our listeners may fade away and they may want to know or find out more. So, um, so you were saying that in terms of rebellion. Um, and so you were speaking about the term rebellion and how uh, rebellion versus riots, so we can pick up from there. Well, per- perhaps I c- perhaps let me just kind of, for those that are listening that don't know anything about what happened here in Detroit in 1967, let me just kind of give a brief overview. It's, it's a historical fact. It's not hard to look it up, but maybe just to kind of give a broad uh, idea of what happened here. Um, on July the 23rd, 1967. Uh, to be exact, uh, there was what what is termed uh, in the community a blind pig, uh, which is an after-hours bar that w- was well-known in the community. Um, it was located on 12th, what is known as 12th Street here in Detroit. Uh, to be exact, 9125 12th Street. Uh, at the corner of Claremont Street, and that was smack dab in the mid- in the middle of a neighborhood 
um, vibrant, um, as I said, the center of the black community here and very densely populated uh, from people that had actually been uh, displaced from another heart of the community that was uh, the heart, what, what was known then as Hastings Street uh, and uh, had been displaced because of a freeway and, uh, excuse me, urban development or redevelopment. So the population that included uh, a lot of great migration um, families, uh, returning war veterans um, had been displaced and moved to this neighborhood that was uh, surrounded 12th and Claremont, and it became another center of the black community here in Detroit. And uh, this particular uh, blind pig or after hours uh, place was well known to not only just the community members, it was known to the police. And this is not something that is uh, unknown to other communities across the country. It happens all the time. It's not like we don't know this. And uh, what happened that particular night is there was someone was returning uh, from uh, the war because Vietnam was going on at the time, if we recall, and uh, uh, there was a celebration. And it had gone on into the middle of the night. And um, the police decided they were going to raid. And, you know, sometimes the police don't. They turn their, and I'm not, we're not questioning right or wrong, but uh, sometimes they turn their heads to uh, what would be an after hours place. But this particular evening, they decided they were going to raid. Now, our police force at the time was 95% or so uh, white. The population of Detroit uh, was uh, quite the opposite. Um, The population in Detroit. White, forty yes. percent black or something like that. Right? No, it was for, yeah, it was it was actually forty percent white. <laughs> oh, okay. It was the, well, the opposite. Correct. That's incorrected. Yes. Uh huh. It, it was the opposite. Um, mm-hmm. And okay, so you have a police force that's white, and you have a community that's black. So there you have it. Um, it was a recipe for disaster. Um, and disaster is what happened on the on July the 23rd. Uh, it was a uh, catastrophe in the making. There had been, what, you know, as you look around, the parallels are still the same um, across the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, police brutality, uh, unnecessary use of force. Um, I could go on. It, the uh, parallels to what's going on today is almost uh, almost scary, actually. But it, uh, on a hot summer night on the 23rd of July, 1967, in Detroit, Michigan, it was a recipe for, for rebellion to start. Um, there had been, previously the year before, in 1966, a smaller skirmish that had happened oh, maybe 20 minutes away on the other side of town, um, on our east side. Uh, The July 23rd event was west side. But basically it was, again, um, the skirmish between the police and uh, we'll just say pedestrians. 
Mm-hmm. Um, by the 23rd at 4 o'clock in the morning, uh, after a bottle was thrown into uh, the arresting crowd, um, as people would say, uh, hell broke loose, and it went on for five days. Um, it's not a pretty rem- it's it's not a pretty m- remembrance, but I would have to make sure that everyone understands it was not a riot. I have heard descriptions over the last uh, couple couple months that this was a race riot. It was not. Mm-hmm. Um, there have been race riots in the city of Detroit, and I'm sure in other places. This was not. This was a uh, rebellion. And it was the haves versus the have-nots. Um, there were uh, uh, businesses that were owned by uh, members of our Jewish community uh, in the area. There were uh, members of the, <clears throat> excuse me, um, white community that lived in the area. It was a predominantly black, but there was still a mix of whites that were still in the neighborhood. And so when the rebellion when the uh, rebellion started, um, everyone was involved. It was it wasn't like it was a, it was the white versus the blacks. It was more like it was more like the neighborhood versus the police. So it it, it turned into something. It was it was not a race riot. And I try very hard, and many people, many of the historians here have been trying very hard to make sure that we don't term it as such because that is not what it was. Okay. Um, can can I ask you a question before you go on? If if I I, real, I I did some quick research and I realized that this term riot versus rebellion and I don't want us to dwell too much on that, but I do want to have a clarification. In your mind, what's the difference between a rebellion? Uh, you sort of explained that, but what's the difference of race riot? What is a race riot considered? Well, race riot when you when anyone. Uh, to me, uh, or to most, I would say, because I've had this conversation with uh, uh, sociologists and social workers, when you say a race riot, race riot means you're, you're, uh, uh, there's a fight or a altercation between two races. Usually in, in the United States, unfortunately because of our history, generally speaking we're talking about white versus black. In this particular case, this wasn't a white versus black issue. This was the haves, uh, and rather than say haves, this was the police and the powers that be versus those that didn't or perceived themselves to not have the power and were tired of getting pushed around. And that included not only blacks, though it was mostly um, an African-American experience, there were also whites involved as well. Okay. Uh, there was looting. There was looting. uh uh, businesses, homes were burned to the ground in the, in the uh, neighborhood. And the looting included not just the black population, there were whites involved too. So that's the difference. When you, when you talk about a race riot, you're talking about uh, the fight between, as I said, the minority population, generally speaking, versus the majority. But that was not what 67 in Detroit was all about. It was not. Mm-hmm. It, was a, okay, it was a but- population that had had enough. Right. And so I just wanted that clarification because, you know, it's so difficult. It's 50 years, and so many things have changed and many things have not changed in terms of 
either the lexicon, the understanding, or community. So I just wanted to establish that what what exactly are you saying? Um, so so you were a witness to this this uh, rebellion uh, at the time. Where were you? Well, when when I, you know you want to say everybody in Detroit was a witness. If you lived mm-hmm. here, um, if you uh, if your family lived here, in my case, my family had been here uh, century. Um, you were a witness. I was at the time. I was seven, almost seven years old. Mm-hmm. Um, my my uh, father and my mother actually um, uh, rented or rented a uh, upper flat of a home that was uh, owned by my grandparents, and mm-hmm. uh, we lived on uh, on what was called Blaine Street. It still is. Very little there, unfortunately, right now. But um, we live between uh, Byron and Woodrow Wilson, which means nothing to you. But the epicenter mm-hmm. was one block, and I do mean mm. one block away. Mm-hmm. Um, we had, we, our family, our, our arm of the family, had literally moved away to the west, further west, <clears throat> about a about a year before the uh, riot happened, riot rebellion. Um, and my grandparents were left in their flat. Um, mm-hmm. grandparent, my grandmother was shipped to our house, and my father, my uncle, my grandfather, uh, sat watch over the flat, like many did over that neighborhood, um, watching over the property. Uh, this is during sure. the rebellion? This is what you're saying? Yes, yes ma'am. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... Witnessing when you're a child of seven and you're sitting on your front porch on a lovely uh, uh, summer Sunday afternoon and you're playing jacks with your next door neighbor who's Jewish and uh, your best friend and the two of you play jacks. The kids don't play jacks anymore, but anyway, <laughs> playing jacks uh, and uh, enjoying a sun. A, Summer after a summer morning, summer afternoon, and you happen to look up, and you see um, what looks like to you GI Joe on a tank that your little brother plays with, with um, submachine guns pointed at you, mm. driving down your front, your front, uh, in front of your front door. I would say that you are a witness. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a memory, and I'm 50 years down the road now, mm-hmm. of seeing G.I. Joe uh, with a machine gun pointed in my face. I should say the face of myself and the face of my best girlfriend. Um, mm-hmm. That's hard to explain to a 7-year-old. It's hard to explain to a 70-year-old. But um, in in this world, unfortunately, um, things like that still happen. Um, not just in this country, but it happens in other countries. I often think of uh, that when that memory, because as, as 23rd of July gets closer, I think of all the, the things, the smell of the uh, burning, um, people being moved around on TV, um, 
I think of the young people that live in the Middle East that are involved in all of this warfare, and you come to realize that they're going to remember that all their life. That is not ever something that is going to go away. Um, it'll be part of their their uh, their chemical their makeup of who they are. Um, there's a lot of anger comes out of it, uh, fear, and I would say that I've got a lot of that anger, not just myself, but as well as other people um, that experience the same kind of uh, memories as I did mm-hmm. of that particular. Well, it's a severe trauma. Time. You went through severe trauma, as did the entire neighborhood, and uh, and I'm sure the greater Detroit. Mm-hmm. That's, well, that's that's the reason why we are commemorating this moment, because if you are to at, were to ask some of the old time Detroiters about that moment in time, that moment in Detroit's history, they will tell you, and as I say to you, that we kind of got frozen in that moment. Detroit mm-hmm. at that time in 1967, this city is a civil rights town. That is what. That is why I'm here. Uh, the Underground Railroad, the end of the road, was here. Um, my family, after arriving here, their earliest in 1833, never left the region. On both sides of, of our Detroit River, we live on both sides, my family does. And from the original civil rights movement, which is the Underground Railroad, to what most people consider the modern-day civil rights movement, which was during the 60s, um, the atmosphere in Detroit was always has always been about activism and freedom. But that July 23, 1967 date almost froze who we are as, as, a, as a group, as a people here. We are still trying to fight that battle. That battle in Detroit is still being fought. It's being fought in many different ways, but that particular mm-hmm. moment in time, it's like the city has never really gotten over it. And it's, it's very hard to describe to someone that doesn't live here or maybe hasn't lived here for a long time. Hence, that's why we have a lot of uh, cities going through quite a gentrification movement right now, and we've got a lot of younger uh, people, millennials, um, and uh, younger members of the Generation X generation, and they use they use the terms riot, race riot, uh, black and white. Um, they use those terms because they don't understand the place they live. And can I um, can I stop you for a second? Um, sure. When you say you're frozen in time. Can you explain what that means when you say the entire city hadn't gotten it, over it? I mean, I can understand the personal trauma and shock. So how has that affected uh, maybe daily life, and interpersonal uh, communication or relationships? How has it affected jobs and growth? And how, how has that affected you when you say you were frozen in time or the city was at ni- in 1967? Well, you know, this city was, at the time, it didn't happen afterwards, but at the time, it was already going through what, what is termed in, in a, a lot of people uh, make statements, white flight. Uh, this city was losing its white population. But our, that, 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 that 
that uh, that fleeing fleeing to the suburbs that we look at um, as happening in the 60s and the 70s, actually in Detroit, had already started, and it escalated. Uh, 1967 basically escalated it. Uh, Detroit so, so, uh, tax. So, so question if. If white flight was going on, was it just because, I mean, you, you mentioned that the, that was the end stop for the Underground Railroad. So they were used to having blacks, uh, I, I suppose, everywhere in Detroit or in, even in sort of segregated parts of town. What was sponsoring the white flight? In other words, why this sudden movement in white flight? Why, if they're used to having blacks in the town of Detroit? Detroit is still considered... Um, I read a survey or not too long ago. Detroit is the Detroit region, the metropolitan region, which is very mm-hmm. large, um, is still considered the most segregated place in America. Okay. So to say that we are uh, used to one another, we may be used to one another, but we don't live with each other. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. This is that, and. 1967, July of 1967, really, um, how can I say that, exaggerated the differences. Mm -hmm. That's why it was such a big deal that our police force was not uh, integrated. Mm -hmm. Um, It was uh, as if the majority was, well, basically it was, the majority was policing the minorities. Um, Well, that was probably true throughout major cities and in, in throughout America, isn't that so? Uh, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it was early, early uh, civil rights movement, so yes, I would say so. However, let's consider the kind of town that Detroit, the Detroit is or was. Detroit was the home of the Great Migration. Uh, remember, Mr. Ford asked, to, sent out a flyer and said he was willing to pay $5 a day for those people in the South that were trying to find a better way off of out of sh- perhaps sharecropping or uh, living in um, small towns and rural in the rural South uh, mm-hmm. to find a better way and, eco- and uh, get economic freedom. So you had a town full of former Southerners. Um, a lot of you had a town full of um, uh, former uh, 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 warriors. Uh, that had been in World War One, Korea, some who had already returned from Vietnam. Uh, most of them uh, in this town, black. Um, the uh, heroes known as the Tuskegee Airmen, that corps uh, was actually stationed here in Detroit uh, at a at a uh, Air Force base known as Selfridge. Mm-hmm. You had a core group. Of who are now Congressional Medal of Honor winners. Um, you you also had those that were working uh, that had come up and uh, started to work in the uh, auto industry after that call by Mr. Ford. You had a a group of uh, citizens that literally were the core or the driving force behind what was Detroit's and still is. Detroit's industry, and that's the auto industry. Um, so you're talking about uh, a group of uh, people, af- mostly African American, 
who were driving the economy here. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me, driving the economy, um, and surrounded by those that yes, the the uh, whites were in charge. Uh, we mm-hmm. had a white mayor, mm-hmm. uh, white council, city council, mm-hmm. uh, governor white, um, secretary of state. I could go on. Uh, we okay. uh, had recently uh, there was a new uh, uh, a, a new um, district created for the United States House of Representatives and had recently uh, actually uh, um, uh, created it. And the man that took a seat and has been in that seat since he sat down, and that's John Conyers. But he was the first black uh, U.S. representative from this area, Congressman Congressman Conyers. uh, Bless him. He's now the dean of Congress. But you have Mm -hmm. you've had a recipe for basically what happened. Um, Mm -hmm. You had the people driving the economy were uh, the minority, and the majority uh, were those that were running uh, out. Okay, Mm so. so say that everybody, I'm sorry. Okay. So in, in your opinion, so the, 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 it sounds like it was a recipe for disaster based on the fact that there's some kind of move, physical stifling of movement on the part of black people, meaning if you have people who are working, making money, they have children, they have aspirations, and then you're sort of limited to the segregation and the power structure that's kind of strangling you. So, in other words, you can't move mobility-wise beyond just the jobs or maybe the social aspect. You cannot move up. So what you're describing is, uh, you know, we've heard similar stories, and it continues throughout the United States, especially living here in New York City where I am. Um, but but for what what I was saying was, just trying to understand the fact that uh, now you have white flight happening. Uh, white right. flight meant that they were just fleeing the physical presence of blacks. Is that right? Uh, that's correct. Mm-hmm. Okay. Absolutely. So, so, so they're having the 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 ability to actually engineer an economic increase, but they cannot have a political or a and a more a more a larger play in the in in the structure of of Detroit. So, given that that's all the boiling pot. What exactly? You said you mentioned the blind pig raid, and yes. that was just. It almost sounds like when we talk here in New York, the um, LGBT group that points. I think back. I think it's the Stonewall riots. It was like a festive thing, and then it started. I mean, not taking it anymore, and it kind of blew up. But once this blew up and the trauma of people who um, who who now are witnessing, as you said, the troops being sent in, and and why did they send in troops with with, with actual tanks? What was the reasoning? Because it wasn't stopping. Because it wasn't rebellion? stopping. Right. Because it wasn't exactly. stopping. Mm-hmm. And, it and we, went, we we had that happen here too in New York. As you yeah, it wasn't stopping because basically the just you know every every Molotov cocktail that was thrown just fueled it a little bit more. Uh, mm-hmm. You have John Conyers standing on the hood of a car, uh, mm-hmm. trying to stop. You have Willie Horton, who was a hometown hero, our uh, former Detroit Tiger, who literally finished a 
the baseball game concluded, he didn't even take his uniform off. He got in his car and drove over to 12th and Claremont area and tried to quell the the violence and the uh, the um, uh, the looting that was going on. And he was a hero at the time. Um, so you had a lot of people trying to stop something that had started. Um, mm-hmm. So that's what brought the, 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 was it the National Guard or the, the had the, uh, the armored trucks? Mm-hmm. So, so, yes. so what really the caused Guard. the National Guard? <laughs> mm-hmm. The National Guard. Um, so, you know, there's so many angles to this, uh, and I don't mean to cut your train of thought, Kimberly, but when we talk about history in terms of even an event like this, and there's that whole rebellion versus riots and perspective on how you view uh, an event like this when it involves so much of American uh, America's biggest problem is not acknowledging racial issues that are longstanding. Um, I, I I would dare say because you're a historian, so I didn't I don't really have a lot of <laughs> reason to prompt you to tell the story. So I want I just want to ask you this: you you mentioned your book or the book that you collaborated on, and that is that. You said it mentioned a little bit. That was mostly about the Underground Railroad. But um, I would like to offer this as a, a question and maybe a comment. Um, I've, I tend to read things also with, you know, with two eyes. You know, one is just an American citizen and then one with the, the black perspective. So I often wonder when I read the stories of the accounts of things, why we don't have more black writers, in other words, telling the story from the black perspective. So I want to ask if you would comment on your feelings or if there's any intention on your part or others that you may know of who may be writing to counter what may be, you know, you know the establishment perspective. Is there any thoughts on that or even any general commentary you may have about that? Well, First, I will say that uh, we have a we we ourselves as a people um, are kind of uh, if you want to say for lack of a better uh, way to describe it we're kind of in a hole. We our history is oral. Um, our history is not um, written. Um, we, we are a people of, we are a people of storytellers. Uh, griots, uh, you know mm-hmm. the 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 uh, village griot held the stories, and as people would come and visit, or you wanted to find out some some history of some particular event, that's what who you went to uh, <clears throat> was to the, the village griot. So we've never historically written anything uh, down. We're getting now uh, as we move forward in history to telling our story, and we're telling it so that it can be repeated and studied and remembered by those other than the, the village. Um, and mm-hmm. uh, unfortunately, part of that is instead of those that, are, those that are writing are those that experienced it, it still tends to be third party. We are not writing our own stories. So anyone, if, if you're not, I, I, there's a, a a uh, African proverb that uh, uh, until until the 
lion tells their own mm-hmm. story. Mm-hmm. It'll always the victor, be the story. The, the story of the tale goes the to the victor, the, the lion. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It'll always be the story of the hunter. We have got to mm-hmm. learn tell our own story, and we've never done that before. And we've also allowed ourselves to be led along by the hunter. So the hunter mm-hmm. continues to not only tell our story outwardly, he's telling us our own story. Mm-hmm. We believe it. Okay, we, we're believing those that hunt us. Um, so mm-hmm. as a historian, it's, I, as an author and as a researcher, I... Um, and as a speaker, because I do, I, I speak uh, around the country, actually in several countries. Um, mm-hmm. I always try to get across in my, in whenever I'm talking, is to be sure that you are telling your own story. You tell mm-hmm. your own story. You don't wait for someone else to tell your story. So the, mm-hmm. the book that we wrote uh, that was. Let the book that we, that we wrote that uh, was uh, discussed or has been discussed, The Fluid Frontier, several times, involves um, the stories of families told by the families. Mm-hmm. Um, in particular, my family, um, abolitionists to the core. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I said, I'm the uh, the daughter, the descended daughter of uh, freedom seeker. Four, actually, mm-hmm. Carolyn Quarles mm-hmm. Watkins and her husband Alan Watkins, in particular, who ended here. Uh, mm-hmm. Carolyn has quite a family history. She is the uh, uh, the cousin. She was the great she was the great niece of a gentleman by the name of Roger Quarles, who was the father of uh, John Mercer, Gideon. Charles and Maria Langston. Um, <clears throat> the Langstons okay. are uh, Charles Charles Langston, as 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 history would have it, uh, ended being ended up being the uh, grandfather of Langston Hughes. So, uh, in my family in my family tree, we are a a, a people. Uh, not only we're going to tell the story. <laughs> Not Absolutely. only that runs in our veins, we tell mm-hmm. our story. Um, okay. Charles, Langston, Charles Langston was tied to uh, John Brown, as was mm-hmm. John Mercer Langston. And, uh, of course, uh, uh, Langston Hughes, when he writes, he mm-hmm. tells the story of the family. That's what he's doing, Beautiful. he's telling our story. What, what and and I have, we to, I have tell to jump this? in I'm here, sorry. Kimberly. I'm sorry, yeah. I have to jump in here real quickly. You're talking about the, my favorite story right now. That is the John Price. Okay. And I think we should close on you telling that story because you are a griot, and I want you to tell it mm-hmm. from the point of view of our ancestors from the griot uh, types of, uh, of um, you know, presentation of the John Price story and how it reflects what's going on today with all these shootings. And you know how they dealt with it. Your your descendants who are abolitionists, and how you think they may have approached what's going on today. So I'm going to go back into mute mode and <laughs> let you go. All righty. We're going to go back into mute mode. <laughs> okay. The uh, the John Price story. It's you know it's tied 
to uh, the Langston family. Um, I am the, uh, as I said, I'm John Price um, is tied inexplicably to the Langston story through Charles Langston. Charles Langston, um, my cousin, was the uh, uh, de facto head of what was called the Oberlin Anti-Slavery Society. He was um, uh, Oberlin College um, houses uh, not only uh, many abolitionist uh, stories, but it also houses or around the surrounding campuses houses the John Mercer Langston National Historic Site, uh, Charles's brother. Um, I've been very privileged to stay in that house um, when I visited Oberlin at one point. But uh, the Price story that Leslie so wonderfully uh, uh, um, speaks of is, is was what was what is called historically the Wellington Oberlin Wellington uh, rescue. Um, it was the rescue of a man by the name of John Price, who was um, uh, held in bondage. As a matter of fact, held in bondage in Kentucky. And for those that have ever been to the Ripley home, uh, to Ripley, <clears throat> and uh, been in the John Rankin home, you can see the field from across the Ohio River that John Price literally was working and was uh, where he was held in bondage and worked. Um, He could stand uh, in the field on the Kentucky side of the river and see uh, Reverend Rankin's house. Um, I was there a couple, just a year ago, right before my, my wonderful friend, uh, Jerry Gore died, who was the uh, griot in Ripley and Maysville, Kentucky. Um, and he reminded me of the fact, and it took me uh, quite a few minutes to uh, regain my composure to know that I was standing at a spot that um, my cousins actually fought over. John Price was arrested. Um, I'm sorry. John Price was, uh, was uh, uh, arrested, thrown in jail and uh, was rescued by the Oberlin Anti-Slavery Society, led by uh, Charles Langston. Um, there is so much tied, and I know I've, we've, got someone, we've got someone here muted, and I know this is her favorite story. There's so much tied to this story. Uh, it, it's so hard to flesh all of it out. John uh, Price was eventually... Uh, Uh, rescued and uh, was sent across the Ohio River. However, his rescuers uh, were jailed. Uh, Charles Langston was jailed, and um, at his trial, uh, his speech was uh, probably, it's still in the annals, you can Google Charles Langston's speech, uh, The Wellington Rescue, and read it, but um, John Mercer Langston, uh, Charles Langston, were uh, tantamount in uh, promoting the um, uh, the war of their of their uh, friend. He called it a war. Um, he did call it a war, not a rebellion, a war, and that was John Brown. Uh, they were two of his, uh, uh, if you want to say, uh, lieutenants. They. Um, recruited their cousin, uh, Lewis Sheridan Leary, um, who was one of five men that fought at Harper's Ferry uh, with John Brown uh, over the uh, arsenal uh, in West Virginia. 
that was the pre- precursor to the Civil War. You know, it's so there's so much there, Leslie, uh, and I wish I could just spread out the Wellington rescue. But if you tie that back to um, what's going on today, uh, rebellion, that's the word. It's a rebellion against good or what we feel uh, is what we what should be going on versus the powers that be. Um, people arrested, people jailed because of who they are, people shot because of who they are, not what they did, who they are. Um, Miriam, I, 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 I know there's incidences that have happened in New York City. Uh, mm-hmm. There's incidents that have happened all over the country. Um, I just wonder what you think of the, uh, the movement uh, toward rebellion now because Black Lives Matter, make no mistake about it, is, is the newest version of the civil rights movement. Um, and it's come about at a time that it has to. Uh, there are so mm-hmm. many events that are culminating here in this uh, year of uh, 50, 50th commemoration. Um, you have... Well, you, go ahead. No, go ahead. Okay, I, I was just going to say that in the essence of time, I'm just trying to collapse my thoughts. Um, I realize that this is a big subject because it's a subject that keeps getting addressed in very piecemeal fashion. This this commemorative uh, 50th uh, commemorative uh, event of the 1967 rebellion is so important because it needs to be cataloged and shared because I'm somebody who tries to keep my finger on the pulse of all things activists, et cetera. And I'm, I was saying, oh, you know, I knew, we knew of other cities because I think there was over 150 cities who had similar, smaller skirmishes, bigger, larger, whatever ones in 1967. 1967 was a hotbed year. Now we're talking cyclically and in a cycle that is, is ultimately culminating again in this, with, with the same elements of rebellion because there has not been any clarity or movement per se on the the greater clock of race race movement in terms of white supremacy. So I look at what you're saying and sharing today as so very, very important, especially because you are a witness, because you're so eloquent, you are a historian, you know where to position it. And my thought is that the movements around the city and around around your city I am I am Facebook friends with someone who is part of a movement to reclaim even the housing that has been neglected in Detroit. So when right. when I was asked to do this, I was was elated because I've been witnessing this woman does a lot of posting where she is live trying to chronicle. As a matter of fact, she's running for office locally in the council level, the city level, to deal with some of the racism that is the underpinning for all of this. The riots only happen when there is disparity, when there is neglect, when there is abuse, and particularly at the hands of white supremacy, which comes in all forms, shapes, known and unknown, because the judge before you could be a white supremacist, the person, you know, that you trust, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a lot of little parts to this, and we can't all cover it in this lovely hour that it looks like we have. But I would like to ask you, what are your final thoughts 
it's more about you and your 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 witnessing than myself. What are your final thoughts? What would you like listeners to come away from in terms of the 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 whole trauma and the parallels and the shootings and things that are going on? It's seemingly the administration seems to be just as blind or as uh, non-caring as it was in 1967. In other words, what I mean specifically, with all, the, with all the shootings and all the unfair events that we are now witnessing via, via, via video and via you know, camera work, um, and then the, 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 the perpetrators getting you know, a slap on the hand, totally exonerated, so many... Uh, what look like very guilty police are being, you know, exonerated in the court system. So when right. what what is what is going to happen, or do you think is going to happen in Detroit, where you're an expert, um, concerning the the movement, even as you commemorate, how how can people who listen in, how can they be supportive of moving that needle uh, against white supremacy? What do you think, or any thoughts you may have on that? And then we're going to wrap up. Well. I get back to my I get back to my roots roots, which is uh, history, the historic the historical perspective. And I was asked by a 50 year old transplanted Chicagoan who has now been living here in Detroit for eight months. He's met and fell in love with uh, one of our longtime Detroiters, and he's he himself he's a motivational speaker. He he does a lot of talks around town to young people and in particular other transplanters. He's adopted Detroit as his home, uh, and we had the opportunity to work on a project together a couple weeks ago and had an opportunity to talk for all over the course of four or five hours. And he said to me that as he goes along and speaks to these young people, uh, young new urbanites that are coming from other places um, that have not been in been a Detroit-born and bred, uh, or maybe haven't been, let's just say, urban-bred. These are suburbanites that are repopulating the urban areas. He says, what do I say to them when they say that Detroit, and I'll just say in general, this place has a, is a blank slate? I told hmm. him, tell them they are not correct. There is no place like Detroit that is 316 years old. It is not a blank slate. The people that live here are not just here waiting for someone to come and tell them which way to walk, which way to talk, and to save them. And we unfortunately are living in a time where you have a group of people that do not understand that history, and it's been said and said and said, if you don't understand it, you are destined to repeat it until you do. And if you don't understand where you live, you, if you don't get involved with the people that are there, if you don't take a, take a heart with their, their plight or what has, been, what has happened to them, what has transpired in their life, if you don't take an active uh, role in trying to understand them in the place that you're living, then you will repeat what happened 50 years ago. You will repeat the housing issues. You will repeat uh, the, uh, the discrimination. It gets repeated. As I said 50 years ago, we had a white mayor. 50 years later, we have a white mayor again. 
This is the first time we've had a white mayor in 40 years. The, the parallels are almost scary in Detroit at this point as we move forward toward, and other places. I bet you if you took apart Newark, you took about, apart other places that were having unrest at the same time, you'd find the same circumstances all over again. We have an administration in Washington that's a little different than the, Washington, the administration that was there uh, 50 years ago. However, it's an administration we are having to deal with, and unfortunately it's not very um, friendly to, uh, to uh, cities uh, with populations such as what we have here. But I would say to anyone that's listening, young people, older people, please, please, you need to listen to the griots, listen to the historians, because that is so important to understand where you come from moving forward. It really is. It's, it's imperative. It's imperative. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And we look forward to, to, to hearing from you again, Kimberly. Such a wealth of information. I, um, I really, really am thankful that you're still here to be a griot and witness this. Peace and blessings to you. And uh, hope Thank you so much, Mary. Nice talking to you. Nice talking to you. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.